0: One of the synapses that powers the nerd brain of Earth. I'm in San Jose right now. San Jose, California. Uh, Yes, of course I stopped by the Tech Museum of Innovation. And yes, I did purchase a Periodic Table of the Elements mug. um, Because everyone should have one, A and B. Uh, Thanks, science, for having so many elements that uh, it makes for a good-sized mug for my hot beverages. Uh, we're doing Oddball tonight at the Shoreline Amphitheater in Mountain View. So uh, I decided to stay in San Jose. Why not? Which is Mira Sorvino, who um, I met a couple weeks ago at the Doctor Who World Tour event. And uh, she's friggin' awesome. And, like, so smart. She speaks several languages. Uh, and I made her talk about that a lot. Uh, because polymaths uh, fascinate me. But very cool, very sweet, very warm. And uh, a cool hang, so uh, Mira Sorvino, uh, right here on the Nurse Podcast, number 570, by the way, she's on a show called The Intruders, which is on Saturday nights on BBC America. Watch it, but listen to this podcast first, and then watch it. Or do the reverse, don't do them at the same time, because that would be shitty to both of us. So one after, tandem, do it tandem, but you, you decide which way to start. That sounded filthy. Uh, you know what? I'm going with it.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com.
0: Welcome to the podcast. Have you done a podcast before?
1: Not one of yours. Uh, Who else are you seeing? Oh God, this is so hard for me. I don't know. I mean, I've done like radio interviews. That's not the same. This
0: is like a conversation, okay? Where we don't. You're not going to feel as interrogated. It'll be like (laughs) a. It'll be like a chat, okay? uh, Which hopefully will be loose and fun. It's it's almost like it's almost like a coffee. Did you spill coke on yourself? Do you want to? Do you want (laughs) a napkin? Kyle, take your shirt off. Give her your shirt to wipe. Actually, put your shirt back on. (laughs) Why did I ask for that? that (laughs) I instantly regret it. Oh, my God. You've uncovered this trench of desire, Kyle, that I thought I had. I always wanted to fuck a substitute teacher. (laughs) Sorry. You good over there? Are we on air now? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's filth. Yeah, the show's. The show's. (laughs) The show's. the show's tangentially filthy it uh, it bore it it brushes up against uh, mild filth so please let uh, you can say whatever you want uh, it's totally it's totally fine it was so fun hanging out with you in new york a couple weeks ago it was very
1: fun we had Thank a great
0: you. time you came as, you know this already this is for the benefit of people listening you were at the doctor who world tour right Yes. But you would not really like that was I had
1: never seen Doctor Who. That was my first I, I might have seen a tiny bit of a rerun when I was a kid in black and white on some, you know, weird station, but uh no, I had never really seen it. It was just because Intruders, my BBC America show, is was premiering and, and airs right after Doctor Who on Saturday nights and I was in New York promoting that and they were yeah. like, Oh, come down to the Doctor Who premiere So I came down to the Doctor Who premiere.
0: And John Sim played the master on Doctor Who. Yes. Does he talk about it ever?
1: Um, I think there's. Some, I don't know. I, 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 he doesn't talk about it. No, he doesn't talk about it much. No. Mm. There was the, there was the day on the set where I was in this little weird Twitter conversation with William Shatner, and William Shatner <laughs> like all of a sudden got all testy about John Sim being like I I could probably find the exchange, <laughs> but he was like, oh intruders, wait. John Sim is in that. And I said, "Yes, he's our, you know, he's our leading man." He's like, "Oh, he's the one who wanted to kick my ass," <laughs> and, and there was apparently some whole thing started by the Doctor Who uh, showrunner who said. William Shatner could never play the master. You know, John Sims the master. John Sims would kick William Shatner's ass.
0: Oh well, I'm glad and, that Shatner, so Shatner
1: won that. So Shatner like knew about this, and mm-hmm. apparently they'd had some kind of thing already, like through the press. Mm-hmm. I don't know some crazy thing. And so then John was like, "Oh, tell him I have so much respect and love for him." And you know, so I was like trying to try to calm the waters. And I, would I was like, beat "I was the not living aware.
0: shit out of <laughs> William Shatner."
1: No, 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 no. Everybody, I mean, everybody's like, you know, William Shatner. So uh, there's no way anyone would have any you know ill will towards William Shatner. At least, not that I'm aware of.
0: Right. But you, you, you know, I don't know. I feel like Shatner could fight. He's been on the show before. He's he's in uh, he's in good shape. I think. I don't know. I think. I think he'd give Sim a run for the money, you know? Wow. Yeah, I really do. I feel like we need to organize this. No. <laughs> no, all, all of nerdkind would love to see... Captain the, Kirk master fight master the master and Captain Kirk fight. Yeah, yeah take finally, it out. Yeah. the fight you never knew you wanted to see. <laughs> oh God, finally no! But
1: they're was. happy now with each other. I believe. I oh, think, good. I think a peace has been broken. They're
0: living happily together.
1: Not together. Oh, okay, but, you know, apart, it far went, apart, different going, countries. I thought but... it was going the
0: other way. <laughs> no. We had such a great chat, but you, the whole t- you, but you had said you were you were talking to me about like contemporary nerd culture because you said when you were in high school. That was your. Crew. I was
1: a nerd. Yes, I was a nerd. No, for sure. a
0: lot of, a lot of, uh, just, I'm sure people are like, really, Mira Sorvino, really? So how, but, but a lot of things that you told me seemed to check out. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Did you vet me? Did you go back through my yearbook? <laughs> yeah, if I went, you, if I you went through went all your yearbooks. If you went, if you went to the Dwight Englewood yearbook, you would see that I was definitely a nerd. Um, well, I was not, I was certainly not in the, um, The cool group, which is what we called them, Mm -hmm. not the A-list. I don't know. You know, we we called them the cool group. I was not in the cool group. I was terrorized by them. Um, I was not in any group because my friends were from different groups. So I had a couple of best friends. and One of them who was there the other night, Rushnek Malik. uh, She is still one of my dearest friends, and we were great friends in high school. Uh, We were nerds, although she was less nerdy than me. I had another friend, Elizabeth Wiseman, who was a great, great friend. And, you know, everybody kind of hated us. And... uh, (laughs) I was, I was in all the honors classes. I did like six AP classes and, uh, I got into every college I applied to. So I, including Harvard, including Harvard. Yes. Um, so I was, I was very academically inclined, which made you a nerd automatically. The only boys that liked me in my grade. I mean, there were older boys that I, I dated a couple times when I was in younger grades, but when I was it, just in my grade, the only boys that ever liked me played Dungeons and Dragons, that was like their whole life. And then one of them, like, made a crank, like, dirty phone call to me one night. It was very freaky. One of the
0: D&D guys crank called
1: yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, said something that he wanted to do or, I don't know, with heavy breathing and then hung up and it completely freaked <laughs> me out. Completely, <laughs> completely freaked me out. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I was... I. I what do I have to do to prove the nerddom? You've, there... you've
0: just proven it, but I okay. really hope that you went back to your high school reunion.
1: No, I, I, I've avoided them all. I'm too afraid of those people still.
0: You're, they made f- you're my a life fucking Oscar so... winner. You should go with your Oscar and land in a private jet <laughs> if, if on a... top of that, those people.
1: No, if, if they, they, they made my life such a living hell, and I was so intimidated by them that I never wanted to see them again. I was so happy to leave high school, and I was so happy when I got to Harvard and was with a bunch of other people where it was like... Oh, it's actually cool to be interested in what you're working on. It's sure. actually neat to be talking about like a subject that you're learning about or writing about or researching rather than like just looking down your nose through your perfectly blow dried winged <laughs> hair and <laughs> your perfect clothes that your mom just gave you money for at the New Jersey mall. And like, cause all those girls were so fashionable. I mean, they were so like cutting edge and trendy. And I was like, you know, people used to say like in, in middle school, like, Oh, so where's the flood? Because I was like growing too fast and my short, my pants, <laughs> my pants were too short and like my legs were sticking out of them. And, and then for a while, like I was friends with a bunch of people who were very preppy. And so like I tried some of like the preppy handbook look and that didn't really work out that well for me. Like just, you know, the wide rail cords and the pink and green wasn't really my thing either. And then I finally, like when I was 14, I met, um, Ramon Estevez, who's, uh, the middle brother of Charlie Sheen and uh, Emilio Estevez. And we met on the set of a movie that both her dads were working on uh, that championship season. And he was like a punk punk rock manager. He managed like a ska band, but he was very punk. He wore like these stovepipe, like black, like incredibly skinny jeans and his hair was dyed like blue, black Elvis, like cut, like with shark skin, like vintage jackets. And I was like, that is cool. See, I want to look like that. So I started picking up a couple of like vintage pieces and, you know, going down to Canal Street jeans and, you know, trying to trying to get some things in my look a little bit, a little bit, just a tiny bit of new wave, just just a little bit. Um, and that at least gave me some sort of originality in my wardrobe that wasn't like New Jersey mall. And it wasn't like preppy.
0: So. I feel like the nerd response to, hey, Servino, where's the flood? Well, if uh, current global warming trends continue, then the flood will actually be everywhere because the glaciers are melting at an alarming rate. <laughs> and then you get stuffed in a trash can. For me, it was getting stuffed in a trash can. I got stuffed, stuffed in a trash can because I had um, – uh, I, I was the D&D kid, and so I brought all my – like. I would bring – they were really fucking heavy, but I would bring the extra <laughs> D&D books to school. There were a lot of them, <laughs> and they were thick. Like the DM guide was thick, and the Monster Manual and the Fiend Folio and Unearthed Arcana and all these different books. They, and they were big books. They were not small they did, not com- they did not be like, S- kids are going to have to carry these-, carry these around. They were thick, thick, thick books. Also, I'm sorry I called and breathed heavily on the phone that one time. Uh, <laughs> no, it
1: wasn't you. It was, it was Mark Spenson. Mark Spenson? It- Spenson, yeah. It- that sounds like Swenson, a... Spenson, Spenson. I-, I think it was with a V, but it might have been pronounced like a W or vice versa.
0: Whatever happened to him? Do you know? I don't
1: know. I don't know what happened to him.
0: So you're and you're not you're on Twitter, but are you on Facebook or anything else? I'm
1: on Facebook, but I'm so bad at it. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I cannot really operate Facebook. Like I need a tutorial from the Facebook people because I when I try and do something, it won't allow me to do it. It sends me somewhere else. Oh, that's just
0: Facebook. No.
1: Something and I land somewhere (laughs) completely different. I can't even read my own damn feed that I like try I try and see whether something I've tried to post has appeared. Sure. I can't even get to my own feed, like what I wrote. Like I can't post photos i can't like change something in my like about you like where are you working like i wanted to add intruders because it has falling skies and i want it does not allow me to add like i can't change you know uh,
0: what if the problem was that you just weren't signed in (laughs) no i'm signed in i'm signed in but it just
1: doesn't no i just i just i'm i don't know i i just can't do it someone from
0: facebook will you please help Mira sorvino this woman needs your help to operate i
1: only started facebook like a year ago honestly so i i don't maybe that's it but um I'm the last living human to, to join Facebook, but I, I do do Twitter, which I find easier and Instagram, which I find easy, easiest, Instagram's the easiest, but I don't, I don't. Are you do, just
0: Mira Sorvino and Instagram yeah, as well? both, yeah. Okay. So, and I, so people who, who grow up, sounds like, it sounds like we had kind of similar experiences and mine was more in grade school, but I went to three different high schools. So I kept trying to start over and it just never fucking worked. <laughs> I always slid back into the old habits. I could pretend for like a month and then it was just like, I would just slide back into the old habits. But do you, did you ever feel okay with yourself? Or did that, I mean, you know, you're, you're standing on stage at the Academy Awards and you're like, do you feel like, I feel cool? Or are you like, oh, I, I don't, I shouldn't have this. That's weird. I don't know. But like, do you still, do you, did, you, did you try to emotionally sabotage it?
1: No, I, I mean, I think I tried to like, Leave high school far, far behind and never look back. But I mean there were like there were moments like because I, I think it was things like when I was like sixteen, I was just sitting outside, like in it was like a study hall period or something, and I was just outside in this courtyard, sitting on a bench reading a book. And a window from up above opens up and this boy calls out, Mira Sorvino is ugly. <laughs> oh no. And I just was crushed because I was like, you know, if he was doing this to Denise Waltuck, like he would never have done this because she's pretty <laughs> and no one would have said that to her. So it must be true. Like, it must be true. I am ugly and just deal with it. And like, because uh, he would never have said that. To you got trolled in was, real life. That, that if, he, if he ever, th- you know, like he wouldn't have said that to me if he thought I was pretty because it would have destroyed any chances he would have with me or whatever. I don't know. So I was just mortified. And so that stayed with me for years and years, along with my sister saying to me constantly, go back to the farm pig nose. So that, that was her favorite <laughs> oh, no. epithet to me. Mm-hmm. So I had this real insecurity about you know, being attractive or whatever. And then years later, when I started getting a modicum of fame, us Magazine, Us Weekly, before it was the magazine it is now, when it used to be more of like an entertainment magazine, yeah. which was like all these portraits, beautiful portraits. Remember they had that, cra- that book, Crazy, Sexy, Cool, that they put out with all these oh, yeah. huge, beautiful portraits that they did of all these actors yeah. and singers. So they used to be much more sort of editorial than gossip. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did some piece on me, and in it they like – had me like, I, I was posing in like some kind of tough girl outfit. And then I get this letter in the mail and it's not an email because there's no email yet in sure. my life. It's just, it's just like, <laughs> it's just a, a physical letter from the boy who yelled out the window. Oh, And he said, way to go. You rebel, bad girl. You, they certainly put you in the right section. And the section I was under was looking good. Oh. And, and it was like this smarmy, weird kiss ass letter where he was like, so you know like maybe we could hang out or you know i don't i mean i don't i don't even know if he asked for anything in it but it was like this like compliment of like sure me looking cool in the magazine right and and it was that same guy and it just stunned me because i was i I, i'd been carrying around his like insult for like almost a decade on my back like it was like my mark of shame you know and then and now he's writing this stupid kiss ass letter to like I don't know what, maybe he felt guilty or maybe he honestly just wanted to kiss ass to somebody who he now knew that was now in a magazine. But
0: I think he probably wanted to touch you in inappropriate ways at that point <laughs> I don't know. and realize he blew his chance.
1: I don't know. But that, that made me like crack up and, and, and be like, okay, you can't take anything personally. You can't believe anything, the good or the bad. Like you can't like take somebody's extremely high praise when it's like over the top, nor can you take like the evil comments. You just have to stay the course and have your own like sense of self esteem. Well,
0: especially in especially in, in that in that age range. I mean, I, I remember meeting up with this girl that tortured me in grade school. She was awful to me, and it always it, she was one of the people that had always just sort of stuck in my side, like. You know, cause I, I don't know. It's just when it's like your brain is soupy, and then it starts to harden in your teenage years, and it just like those things kind of harden in your brain like concrete. We're like, oh, just like what you said. And I hang out with her years later, and and I was prepared to be like, yeah, so. <laughs> What was your problem? And she offered. She was like, you know, by the way, I was such a bitch to you back then. I don't know. Like my parents were having a rough time. And I was like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> just like rip the emotional carpet off. And they like, oh, okay. But then just to sort of realize like, yeah, none of that stuff really. You know, everyone, kids are just. Yeah, everybody's going through stuff. You, don't, you have stuff. no
1: idea what's happening. And, you know.
0: Kids don't know how to pretend as well as adults. So they're just shitty if they feel bad. <laughs>
1: And also I mean like, you know, in New Jersey, like everybody's parents were divorced and, and I thought I'd beat that curve and then my parents got divorced while I was in college. But um, you know, so people are going through so much and you know, who knows how how best to handle it. So I can't I don't think I hold a grudge against those people, but I was I was still like afraid of them. So I, I've never gone to a high school reunion is like the bottom line. I've gone to two Harvard reunions, which have been immensely amazing and fun and nostalgic and emotional. But no, I've I've had no wish to go back to my high school.
0: <laughs> so how did you how did you grow But up that's at-
1: why I did Romy and Michelle. I did it for the girls that felt like me. I was like, this... Because people are like, this is not this is not the film you want to do right after winning the Oscar. I was like, but this is like for nerd girls everywhere. This is like, you know, anthemic. Like, you know, these are like nerd superheroes.
0: Romeo like. and Michelle, such a <laughs> fucking great movie. And we had the conversation because you guys came to the Singled Out set where Romeo and Michelle get rejected for being too old. Yes. Um, Sadly, and that was already
1: like, <laughs> like 1995. <laughs> like, how
0: old am I now? <laughs> but it was a... Uh, but that was like and Janine was in that movie too in yeah. the the fucking the fast burning cigarette paper that movie was great. And also uh you and Lisa were great in that but but both both had the really I don't know. You, you were you were sort of doing this character, like this girl, and it, where did where did she come from? Um,
1: well, her voice was basically my sister's, and then I just dropped the register. My sister used to talk like that, and she used to have this best friend called Murph, and they <laughs> would like talk like that together. And I'm like, okay, Murph, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they just did these voices. She always did stuff with her voice, like comedic stuff with her voice, and but she she adopted this kind of valley girl patois, and even though she was raised in Tenafly, New Jersey, so. Um, I just imitated that, but then kind of made it lower.
0: And then after Romy and Michelle. But I also
1: felt like physically she was like, she was basically like a linebacker in high heels, <laughs> you know, like, you know, the way like a guy walks when he's like, you know, doing some like spoof and drag, you know, yeah. like, but he, he's never put on high heels before or right. never will again. And he's like 215 pounds in like, you know, spike heels. That That's what I tried to make Romy's gait like, you know, and, and she thinks she's smart, but she just isn't.
0: <laughs> the movie that movie did well, if I remember right. Didn't remember Yeah, it so did it well. well.
1: It did well. Uh, it would have done better had it not been rated R, because I don't think anyone understood at the time that its main audience. I I, I think we understood the actors, but um, was going to be teenage girls because they were going to relate to us. Because people thought I think that that were marketing the movie that it was going to be for thirty year olds who were going to their high school reunion, and we were like, mm, the characters may be like I don't know, they were like twenty eight or whatever, but. They are not mentally 28. They're still in high school in their minds. Like They are really, really young. So the market for this is like people who are in high school Why still. Why it rated R? Because of Janine's language, because of the go fuck a sheep, go fuck your sister. Go. If you oh, use right. fuck in a sexual sense on uh, camera, you are automatic
0: R. But if you use it in a religious sense, then
1: it's... Like <laughs> <laughs> if you use it in just like a, ow, oh, I stubbed my toe kind of yeah. way, you can use one or two of those. But first of all, there's also a number of them. And so she does like five of them in a row and that's probably already over the number. But if you use it in a sexual sense, it's automatic R, which is crazy. Because if you look at the stuff that gets a PG-13 that is so violent, it's like
0: crazy. Well, intense. also the internet, like <laughs> people are fine with language now. It's the same, it's the same thing on, 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 tele, on at midnight where it's the standards are you can, you can use something colloquially, but you can't use it anatomically. So like if I were to say like that dick kicked me in the dick. One of those would get bleeped, um, and so I, and I think actually we did that. You know what? We we I actually demonstrated that on the show. There was a picture of a someone because it's the internet made a cross section of a pregnant lady, and there was a cat inside her womb. <laughs> And I said, that pussy's going to come out of that pussy. And one of those just got bleeped. And they did. <laughs> one of them, one of the pussies came, went through and the other one got bleeped. And it just just like so ridiculous that these are the rules. It's That's like, funny, the, you know, yeah. that someone would be like, oh, oh, okay. But as long as you, oh, you know, you said the word, but not that thing that people were just, I think we just need to get over the language stuff. And this is like, there are worse things in the world, right? There are way worse plagues in the world than whether or not someone says fuck. Uh, on television or film. So what? Do we, where do we go from here?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you took us here. I'm not sure where we're going right now.
0: No, I don't mean us. I mean, as a culture.
1: Oh, <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's that's hardly the worst thing. I don't know. If you, if you look back just like to when I, I was a kid and what there was on television was so tame. I mean, it was like the Brady Bunch. You know, I would go home from school and I would watch reruns of the Brady Bunch right. in the afternoons, like, that was the television, or maybe I would watch, I love Lucy. I mean, I would watch something completely innocuous and all the barriers are gone now. And I'm just wondering what long-term effect that has on people. Like, cause obviously not every family is going to be as careful as I am about what my kids can watch. Like I don't let them watch racy stuff and I don't let them watch violent stuff, but there's lots of other homes where it's a little more laissez-faire. Like if I had wanted to watch the violent stuff when I was a kid, I probably could have. Sure. So my parents were sort of not paying attention to what I was watching. And I was just hard. Like I saw something when I was 10 where this guy got like stabbed in the stomach in this alligator movie and it freaked me out so much that I couldn't like handle it. So I didn't gravitate towards that stuff. But if I had, you know, had just been kind of randomly watching now kids can like, they could watch Dexter. I mean, they could watch, you know, who knows what they're picking up. So I don't know what it's going to do. Yeah. The, the 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 language is the least of our worries is what I'm basically saying. I don't know. I don't how know. How did you
0: turn out? I mean, as a child in an actor family, how did you turn out normal? I mean, like, how did you turn out normal in the sense that, you know, I'm sure you saw a lot of, I'm sure you saw a lot of your dad's friends and there they were some probably messed up kids. So how did you turn out to be this normal nerdy girl who went to Harvard? And like, what what was the...
1: Well, my parents were fairly normal. They didn't live like a Hollywood lifestyle. They didn't do drugs. They didn't party a lot. I mean, dad and mom decided when I was in third grade that dad was going to go off to work and we were going to just stay in one place rather than us sort of gypsy following him from set to set. And although great for stability, bad for marriage. I think ultimately that broke up my parents' marriage because just the distance for months and months at a time was not good. But they were very committed parents very loving very kind of old-fashioned and conservative in a way and very very supportive of our academic work and all of our extracurriculars they were very very involved so if parents are really involved and really love you and really you know kind of are there for you to kind of navigate the things that you're going to be going through then you tend to hopefully avoid the pitfalls of 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 teenagehood that could really get you down. I mean, I think it's when parents are not around, right. You know, when kids are neglected and you know, that does happen probably in certain Hollywood families because the parents are working so much or maybe they're, maybe they've adopted the kind of culture of hedonism that, you know, the life of being an actor can afford you if you want it. I mean, you know, actors could go out, partying every night they could go home with a different person every night they could do drugs all the time if they wanted that's something that is available to actors that is not necessarily available to bankers or you know it's not available to tv hosts either unfortunately (laughs) but but my parents didn't involve themselves in any of that i mean that's not who they are my my dad is like you know from this italian american family very family-oriented my mother's parents were both educators they're very like clean cut American family. Like, you know, they're very conservative family oriented people. So that just wasn't the
0: way that we were raised. Did you, uh, does your, da- did your dad have a bunch of brothers and sisters?
1: He has two brothers. Oh, okay. And they're both still alive. Um, uncle Ronnie and uncle Billy, and they both are in the East coast right now. Dad, all three of them are there right now.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, my mom's Italian. And so my, my, but my grandfather had like 10 brothers and sisters. My
1: grandfather like- was one of nine. <sighs>
0: they just came over from italy and just like you know they were teenagers when they got my great grandparents were teenagers when they got together so they just started this weird human pyramid scheme of italians
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was just i have so many cousins for all that that I, that I don't even know you know and it's actually facebook now that's started to reconnect my mom to the rest of the family it's i'll just hear like oh uncle frankie's kids you remember them like no <laughs> I don't know. it's a big it's a big clan. But there is something there is something about that um Italian American family idea it's like big families and they every Sunday, you know. Like yeah, the
1: they- Sunday dinner, everybody together. We still do that with my dad. My kids and my husband and I, we all descend upon my dad's apartment in West Hollywood and he cooks some giant feast oh, or that's before great. he'll come to our house and we'll do the same there and everybody goes swimming or whatever. So it's like we try and keep it up as much as possible. I mean my grandparents were omnipresent in my childhood they were always there um my grandmother was like my favorite person in the whole world um she was in her own words as big as a house and <laughs> and totally fine with it and <laughs> the best cook uh the most comforting wonderful funny person down to earth earthy like just had this great joy of life and just was sort of an example for me of how to like be a person um so I don't know. We, we just, that, that family orientedness has stayed with us and that's, you know, how we want to live too. So we try
0: and, and does that sort of help not get sucked into, all, did you ever get sucked into all of the Hollywoody stuff or were you, was, you were always able to sort of like, nah, that's dumb. It's not real.
1: Um, I think, you know, in my twenties when I was single and kind of, you know, had my chance to kind of run around and go to parties and do things like I was probably, you know, sort of, I, I was never a drug doer. I'm not. I'm not a drug person at all. But I probably, you know, had my share of <laughs> cocktails and went to parties, <laughs> and you know, I had fun. I definitely had fun. But I was never really wild. I was never really wild. I always still had that like that sort of good girl thing inside me that would stop me from doing crazy things. It would. It, I would always have this like limit that would kind of. Like, oh no. Oh no. I'm not going to do that. Sorry.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it was interesting. I mean, it's, you are who you are. So.
0: And did uh, after Romy and Michelle? I mean, I, still the idea of, stay, of of like the 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 pinnacle of what you can achieve in this business, you you achieved. And did, did, is is it once it happens? Are you like, oh yeah, I guess that happened, or does it does it feel like anything? I mean, I I guess maybe it's hard. It's probably hard to put into words, but I guess thinking of it in terms of. You know, someone has an ultimate goal for their career. Was that an ultimate goal or was it just like, Oh, this is a nice reminder that I'm on the right path? Or how did it emotionally? Um, Well,
1: I had never it it was never a goal of mine. I honestly my goal was to be as good as an actor as I could be and and do great work, you know, inhabiting characters, bringing them to life, and, and getting to work on great material. And that was my goal. I really didn't have like an achievement goal of like I need to win an Oscar, and I need to be acclaimed. I it, I I just wanted to be a working actor doing wonderful work because that's why I became an actor. And my dad was an actor, so I saw it as this great craft, this. Artistry that he engaged in that I saw from the time I was very small. And I saw a kind of nobility to the work because he put such intense work into it and how he developed his characters, how he would like. He played this character in this movie called Dummy, where he played a deaf lawyer based on a real man named um, Lowell Myers. And LeVar Burton played a, a deaf mute kid that he's defending in the court system who's accused of rape and murder and my dad developed 3 different stages of deaf speech because the character became profoundly deaf at 12 and the the story takes place over 20 years so in the beginning, he's closer to the time that he lost his, his hearing. And then by the end of the show, it's, he's much older. And so he's losing all of his plosives and his, his consonants and, and, and it's getting much harder to understand him and harder for him to stand in court and give a, you know, a talk to hearing people because they can't understand how he's speaking. But he worked with deaf children in this Lexington school for the deaf for weeks. And, and he did all this work with tape recorders and, and he met the real guy. And then he realized when he met the real guy, that the, the voice he had been developing for him, was completely wrong because this guy had a different tone of his voice. So he brought it to that. And, and it was all, you know, it was very painstaking, like the way that, you know, you imagine a great artist is working on a canvas, like that, you know, this sort of dedication and patience and, and instinct that they bring to it. So for me, just doing the work was kind of the goal. And I always had this fantasy that wouldn't it be great if I could be like, in all these great parts, but no one knew who I was in real life because I really didn't like the spotlight. Yeah. I was not, I was not the life of the party. That is my dad. My dad loves to be in the spotlight. He loves being the center of attention. He loves telling the jokes at the parties. That's not me. I'm, I'm more, um, I don't know, internal than that. And, and not as comfortable And It's taken me years to be comfortable doing like press lines. Like I can't, I really can't stand like the red
0: carpets. I really can't. They're stand they're completely them. <laughs> uncomfortable, artificial and, like, environments. Just,
1: and you know, you know those photographs, like the 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 the, the, uh, the flashlights, blinding you. I mean, yeah. it's like you're blinded, and you're standing there, and you're so self conscious. And and I used to just be so terrified when I would you know hit the red carpet. Um, now I'm still a little terrified, but it's it's a little bit less daunting. But um, but that was like that was my fantasy to be like a fully working film actor who no one knew. That was like my little, and so anyway, so the Oscar was incredible. It was an amazing honor. It was like this gift that I never expected. It just kind of came out of the sky and hit me on the head. Um, and the night that I got it when they called my name, because I I was just preparing to be happy for someone else. I never thought I would get it. And when they called my name and I like floated, I floated up to the stage. I felt like my feet did not move. I was literally, you know, levitated up the stairs onto the stage in my big skirt And, uh, I felt this like wave of love from the audience and, and, and from like the people watching the broadcast, it felt like this like immense wave of love was washing over me and I'm not a new agey person, but like, that's how it felt. And, um, and so I will always treasure that and always carry that with me. Um, but as I said, it was never one of the things that I was like, well, when I get my Oscar, that will mean (laughs) that I had a meaningful life and a meaningful career, um, it was just an, a beautiful gift and a beautiful thing that I treasure.
0: What did you major in in college?
1: I was East Asian Languages and Civilizations. I was basically Chinese studies, but I wrote my thesis on racial conflict between Chinese students and African students in the PRC. And it was uh, it was something that happened while I was there. These racial outbreaks were happening, and I was like, wait. You know, I've always wanted to understand prejudice and racism better. Let me study it in a Chinese context, see what part of it is cultural, what part of it is social, what part of his economic, you What know. did you discover? It was very interesting. I mean, at the bottom of it, at the bottom of this conflict, it, it all came down to interracial dating. It was all sex. It was all like, you can't oh, cross wow. those color lines. And like, there was just sort of this crazy reaction from, you know, the host country that African male students were coming and they wouldn't send, it was 50 men to one woman in this, in this, uh, program it was this program where the Chinese government was giving free graduate education to third world country graduate students in an effort to kind of cadreize the third world mm-hmm. like to kind of maoize you know their allies and so and it was something that was started by the soviets it's like a way of kind of planting seeds of communism in mm-hmm. the rest of the world mm-hmm. and uh and so they would bring over these grad students but only one woman to 50 men so and they would be there for 3 years at a time so obviously they would date locally And that was just seen as anathema by the local population. And then there was this whole thing. There was all these, you know, people marching with like placards saying, you know, democracy now. And then at the same time, there would be another one. Black devils leave our women alone. And I was like, what? What in the world? You know, so I just started looking into it more and more. And, you know, it, it was interesting because the obviously the the African students were getting privileges that the Chinese students didn't have. Like, the government was giving them larger stipends. They'd have, like, nice dorm rooms. They didn't have to have, sleep, like, 16 to a dorm room as the Chinese would. They would be,
0: like, two or one to a room. Oh, so there was already bitterness.
1: There was Yeah, there was resentment. And then um, there were totally different, like, cultural mores at hand. Like, you know, the Chinese were, like, you know, all their teaching from the time they were very young was sort of dedication to the group, to the state, to like being a good citizen of China, not for individualism. And the Chinese were, the African students were much more kind of party oriented and boisterous and happy and would play loud music. And, and, you know, we're not coming from at all that same sort of group think, um, and, you know, there were just clashes on all different levels. But honestly, all the fighting generally came from interracial dating, like all the problems. It was crazy. It was really interesting. And, you know, there were, they, part of what I was studying was just, you know, the certain things about racism in every context or, or prejudice that, unfortunately, the way we're sort of hardwired as evolutionary creatures is that we have fight or flight instincts, and part of those are to sort of typecast others around us like if if you're our clan if you're the X clan you're okay if you're in the Y clan maybe you're dangerous and so I've got to treat you like you're dangerous to stay alive like if there's lightning I shouldn't go out cuz maybe the lightning's going to kill me now even though if there's thunder clouds maybe there's not going to be lightning and maybe it's not going to kill you but Certainly, by going out, you're running more of a risk of getting killed, right? So, so we're sort of hardwired. The brain likes to make associations, likes sure. to say, okay, the the the, the red colored things are bad, the blue colored things are good, and I'm good to, I, I'm on the blue team, so all the red is bad, and I'm blue. And and you have to sort of break yourself of these kinds of tendencies to type people, and and sure. and um, it was it was interesting because what I basically learned was that if you don't change those. Uh, Those assumptions by the time a person is like an adult, the only way they will change is through a life-threatening experience where a member of the other group saves them. And this is how like skinheads become fair-minded people. Like they're drowning and a, a Jewish person or a black person saves them afterwards. They're like, whoa, okay, I've, I'm wrong.
0: So oh, so you have to, you basically have to be <laughs> in that moment of where everything shatters and right. you're like,
1: okay, I, I've got to reinvent the wheel. This is crazy because otherwise what people tend to do who are prejudiced is that they will exceptionalize people they meet that don't fit the mold that they've created in their mind of like the bad other. So that's why you have people who are kind of apparently racist or prejudiced, but they'll say, oh, some of my best friends are X, you know, because they can exceptionalize, like there are good ones, but most of them, most of them you have to be careful about. Right, right, right. You know, so, so it was very interesting and it's just like in every culture you have racial conflict and you have prejudice and it was just kind of what were the historical factors and what were, and also what, what I was finding was that the government was having less and less need for the, that program, Mm-hmm. because they now had their own seat in the united nations you know they had been working for that for decades and now like their economic and political need for these third world supporters was growing less and so they were being more open or or they they were they were not brushing conflicts under the rug as they had earlier because these conflicts had started almost as soon as the african students got there in like 1948 and 50s like they they were um they were having fights early on, but the government would try and clean it up and make it nice and pretty and and apologize. When I was there, they were not only not doing that, they incarcerated six of the African students who were involved in this big fight down near uh, Nanjing. And then they took all the foreign students who were trying to go back to their embassies for the Christmas break and took them away from the train station where they were waiting for a train to get to Beijing and instead took them to this place called the Shupu Guesthouse which was this weird hotel where they separated people by country and they struck people with electric cattle prods? Oh my and they God! Put six African students in um, solitary confinement, and it was it was crazy. I mean, it was it was a crazy incident. So it really showed that the government no longer cared about losing face internationally, about what those countries thought of them. Like that, the, the value had dropped for them, so they weren't going to really cover up incidents and in fact it almost seemed like they were fomenting them but
0: did you go to china
1: yeah i was living there at the time
0: i was living in beijing and so you, do you speak chinese i do you do uh-huh that's the hard i mean i was trying to learn japanese japanese
1: is harder maybe that do you think the, the so the grammar is harder and you have you have those the reason i didn't like right off the bat the reason i didn't want to learn japanese <laughs> is because they have that inferior superior grammar so you always have to talk up to your superiors and down to your inferiors. And as a woman, you always had to talk up. Oh shit. Yeah. Like there are certain, you could never be completely an equal with everyone that you spoke to. Like you were always going to have to speak in a subservient way towards men and bosses and things like that. So, so that kind of freaked me out, but I also loved traditional Chinese culture. I love Japanese culture too, but like I had something in me, I don't know, maybe I was Chinese in another life or something that I just was fascinated with traditional Chinese
0: culture. so, so what are some basic, uh, what are some of the, because w- learning an Asian language is, uh, cause I, I studied Latin in high school cause I went to all boys Catholic school. Um, you know and so latin is a romance language and so you, you know you have the basis for basically m- most of the, i mean english is not a romance language it's a germanic language but there's still a lot of basis of latin and greek in our in our language not so much structurally but at least vocabulary wise but you're, but you're talking about an entirely separate language family with completely separate roots and a completely separate alphabet and way yeah. of communicating and it's and, not even and, and an alphabet al- almost pictograms really <laughs> right
1: like, well they were they were pictograms and they did used to have and in japanese they still have them but they they would have a meaning root that you could kind of decipher but then mao zedong changed them he took what they used to call um uh, which are like complicated characters and changed them to jianhua which are Um, simplified characters so that the masses could learn to read because there were like 13 strokes in some of the old ones and then he would simplify them but in doing so destroyed the original tie to the meaning because they they used to have like a radical that meant fire and one that meant like books and one that meant sun and you could kind of piece together a little bit visually huh okay i understand why that is that word because well, it so means, now it's just a memorization now game. it's just just memorization i yeah. mean once in a while that the sort of root of that radical is still in there but a lot of times it's gone completely it's just pure memorization. And I did write myself an essay on my early Mac, <laughs> one of those giant Macs mm-hmm. that had like the floppy disk inserts. Uh, why Chinese ruins my life. <laughs> I, I think I wrote that to myself in like sophomore year, <laughs> but you know, I stuck with it and it was, I was very glad I did. And you know, look, I had uh, you know, I should say I had a wonderful time in China and I had the best people that I became very, very close to. So even though my, you know, my, my thesis explored a conflict that was happening there. It was not an indictment of the Chinese people. I mean, racism is everywhere and racial conflict is everywhere. So, and, and I, the Africans were not completely innocent either. Nobody's completely innocent, but, uh, so I didn't want this to be like a slam on Chinese people cause I love Chinese people, but, um, uh, it was an amazing experience. It was really interesting. I, I was very lonely for the first three months and I felt like I couldn't understand anything like people just speaking a little too fast. Like the words would just, Oh, if they just slow down, I could catch them. And then all of a sudden it's like one day it sounded like they started speaking slower. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like my brain caught up and then it sounded like normal speed speech. And I could now understand what they were saying and I could bargain on the street and buy street food and, you know, do what I needed to do in Chinese all the time. And I ended up renting a room from a Chinese woman. And I left the school, and I just started doing, like, jobs. Like, I I took a semester off from from college because my parents – that's when the divorce was finalized, and I just needed to be kind of away. So that's – I was working on my thesis. I was editing Chinese language magazines published in English. I was editing the English, (laughs) and, like, there were words – like (laughs) – One of the words that was in the the translation was uh, electric brainwashers, and I was like, electric brainwashers, what is this? You know, like, and then it turned out it was like computerized washing machines. But oh. electric brain is the literal translation for the Chinese word for computer. Oh, right, electric brain. Like right. electric brain is a computer. Uh, so <laughs> but it's like. So that was one of my jobs. I taught English to like middle school kids, and I sang jazz with a couple of jazz bands, and that was really in fun. Chinese. Um no, in English and in French.
0: What an amazing well no wonder you didn't get sucked into the Hollywood scene. You were fucking right about racial conflicts between Africa and China and learning and singing jazz in China. <laughs> I mean that's I mean it see you know, getting out and seeing that the world is bigger than this weird little insulated bubble that we live in <laughs> right here, I, I guess that would expanding your horizons in that way would probably kind of make you come back and go, yeah, this stuff 's fun, but it's not it 's not the world <laughs> you know there 's actual important things going on in the world this stuff 's neat, but it's not you know it 's not that um, what uh, What did you learn? When you learn, when you learn a language that's complex as Chinese, does it make you understand English better? Or does it make you? What else? What are the sort of side effects to learning? Well, I
1: would dream in it, and I was really excited when I would dream in it because once, once I was living with my Chinese friend. I didn't have any English in my life anymore, except for like writing my parents or calling them on the phone or something. Or if I'd run into one of the American students, like Mm -hmm. my whole day would be in Chinese. Everything was in Chinese. So that was pretty cool. Actually, it was cool to live in another language because there's a, there's a fun emotional rhetoricalness to Chinese. Like, like, like if you could train, like you're like, Come on, am I right or am I wrong? I'm not wrong, you know. Like the statements are like kubushima. Like, can you say no? Can you say it's not true? You know, and and then you go on, and things are like. like I, there's this funness to it. Like it's very, um, very expressive. It's not. It's not the formal, polite language that the Japanese is. It's much more rhetorical and fun. Like there's a kind of. I don't know. I can't
0: explain it. Do you ever go into Chinese restaurants and then see if they no, talk I'm about really you and then shy. answer and then answer them in Chinese and go, I know what you're saying.
1: No, I get really shy in Chinese restaurants. I almost never speak, but I don't go to Chinese restaurants much because I'm very, very allergic to MSG. Oh,
0: okay. It makes me
1: completely sick. So while I was in China, I thought I had colitis or colon cancer because I was so sick from the MSG. Oh,
0: but it's it was MSG? I had to have
1: like a CAT scan and everything. It was
0: crazy. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> but it was just MSG. Um, yeah. So I, I do want to actually, two of my sons just told me yesterday that they want to study Chinese. So. Um, <sighs> They were. One of them was studying French up until last year, and now he's decided he, you know, his best friend's going to study Chinese, so he's going to study Chinese. So they're both going to take Mandarin at their school. So I got to brush up the Mandarin now. My my daughter is still taking French, and I, I also speak French, so that will be easy to, you know, the Chinese will be a little harder to to coach him on. So I'll have to I'll have to go back and like maybe hire the teacher from the school to just like talk to her a few days.
0: Holly, Polymath. Would you be able to? If there was a French person and a Chinese person would you be able to bridge the gap between the two of them pretty well?
1: Yes, except then I'd probably say a few French words in the Chinese sentence. Like that was like when I was interviewing subjects for the thesis, like I was interviewing French African francophone speaking African students. Like I was like smuggled into this embassy to talk to one of them and so I was trying to interview them in French, but Chinese words kept jumping into the French, which was really weird. And it would completely fry my brain. Like in the middle of a sentence, I'd use like a Chinese word instead of a French word. And then now my French is stronger than my Chinese. So like, I don't know, it it would be tough. The same thing happens to me in like Spain and Italy, because if I've been speaking Spanish most recently, and then I'm in Italy, like I'll come up with a Spanish word my Italian and Spanish are both pretty poor, but they're quite similar, but not, they're not the same, but they sound a lot the same and your right. brain will sort of remember one instead of the other. So I don't know. My, my brain is failing now. I have to, I have to, I, I've got to do like lumosity or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They would do that when I, as I, Italian was my language in college and people would always come in and throw in the, you know, like they would throw in a Spanish were a Spanish word and then the the teacher would be like oh no 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 molto bene like, like <laughs> it, that she would that she would correct and seemed very frustrated by the fact that people that Spanish was leaking its way into her precious right. Italian <sighs> but it but they're too but they're so but those but they're so similar in a lot of ways that that's that's easy to make that jump but from French to Chinese is kind of that's interesting to think how the brain Well, some of the
1: words sound sort of similar in a way, or there's like, because I used to speak Chinese in a kind of a soft way, which kind of was like, almost like a French way of speaking Chinese. It was kind of weird. I don't know. I can't explain it. But it's like, my personality is slightly different in each language because you adopt a little bit of the style of the country. Sure. Yeah. So in order to
0: communicate and fit in, I guess you would have to. But you kind of
1: develop, it's almost like playing a character, right? Like, so you develop, like, say Romy talks in that way. Yeah. Like French Mira is not quite the same as American Mira. Or, Chinese mirror is not quite the same as French mirror or American mirror.
0: Oh, wow. I, I guess that.
1: But they're both limited by the non perfectness of my level of fluency.
0: So who's the real Mira? Who, who is she? I don't know. Who is she really? <laughs> is she French or Chinese or Spanish or Italian or American? What is non she? So, non so, <laughs> non so. Non
1: so, Mi dispiace. Mi
0: dispiace, mi dispiace. Mi dispiace, sono un Americano. <laughs> uh, uh, it's I, 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 the thing that was frustrating about going to Italy and speaking, uh, Italian was that regionally the dialects like they their words are different in and the regions aren't necessarily even that far apart right. and basically when you kind of get it down like in milano and then you go to venezia then you say something and they're like no 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 no, uh, no we don't say that here it's a uh, here we say you know and you're like <laughs> fuck but over there they said right. they're, they're like oh that's not how it you know i don't yeah. know why everybody sounds like a mario <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh but it it, it... my
1: dad speaks italian and then he sings in neapolitan because his family is from his dad was from naples and he came over here when he was four and so when he's in italy he can he can tell little jokes and anecdotes in neapolitan but he doesn't really speak fluent neapolitan but it's totally different from italian i mean it's like really different
0: oh wow it's
1: it's it's a completely other language really in a way but he can kind of fool the people for a little while that he's, that he's fluent in Neapolitan. He is quite fluent in actual, prop, proprio Italiano. But
0: did, did you do any, did you ever do any Chinese films or any Chinese? No,
1: thing? I did a film with Chow fat called The Replacement Killers, right. directed by Antoine Fuqua. Yeah. Um, but in that, I didn't speak any Chinese, actually. My character was American.
0: Did you talk to him in Chinese? Like, a little bit. A little hey, Chow fat guess what?
1: But, you know, he's not, um, that's not his main language. He actually uh, speaks a southern dialect, not... Mandarin he can, can speak Mandarin but that's not his comfortable language oh okay yeah, that's like as though he's from Naples and he's then Italian sure. is you know being asked of him and he can speak it in films and he can speak it to people but his real language is a different language
0: did you think it was ever I mean there must have been a you you could you could do commercials in like four or five other countries <laughs> did you ever have you did you ever do anything
1: the funny thing is like when I was younger like, doing commercials was, like, looked down upon. But and in now, other
0: countries, a lot of, a lot of the actors got away do, with yeah, it. Yeah,
1: some, some did. I never did. And then now everybody does everything. Right. And nobody cares. Like everybody is just making a buck. Everywhere you turn, selling something somewhere. Oh yeah, everything. I mean, when Nicole Kidman did like Chanel or whatever, you're like, okay, anyone can do anything now.
0: Right. You know? like, yeah. The, like glove, the gloves are Brad off. Brad
1: Pitt is doing, uh, you know, a, a perfume. Anyone can do anything now. Well,
0: that the the the, the, the dirty, the, not dirty, but the but I guess the dirty actor secret, at least you know, 20 years ago was. Actors going over to—I guess that's sort of what Lost in Translation was—to actress going over to Japan, Japan, yeah—and yeah. where be you know, like in a pre-internet era, it's like no one will ever fucking. See. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I never did. I never did any of those. I didn't. I, I missed. I missed the boat on those. I missed the, the revenue stream that way. <laughs> yes.
0: So what? Uh, when did you? How old are your kids?
1: Uh, nine, eight, five, and two.
0: Oh wow, that's a pretty. Uh,
1: we had him bang, bang, bang. Yeah. So, you know, I had four kids under seven
0: at one point. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you had some help.
1: Uh, I Yeah, I have help. I have help. Um, not full-time help, but I have help.
0: Does it does it freak you out in a sense? Or like, I'm responsible for four lives? Or is it sort of like, does the Italian Sorvino come out and go, I oh, know, this is what it's supposed to be?
1: Well, I always wanted four kids. I, I came from a family of three kids, and and I loved having my brother so much when he was born it was like the best day of my childhood and uh, so I was like wouldn't it be great if we even had one more <laughs> and, and so that sort of persisted into my adulthood that I thought four was the magic number and when I met my husband you know I was like look if you're not interested in having kids you know we're just not gonna go any further because I really want to have kids so and he's yeah. like I could have kids and I was like okay and he's like he says yeah I could have kids and I could have like two kids I was like I want four <laughs> and he was like well oh, well you know <laughs> So, so we started with like the concept of two, Yeah. then three was a pretty easy sell. Three was hard because we had like a lot of problems in the hospital. Like I, I I had to live in the hospital for nine weeks out of that oh lot, my latter gosh. half of the pregnancy. I had like complications. So <clears throat> at the end of that, both Chris and my dad were like, that's it. No more. That, we're not having, no, no, we can't risk you. We can't risk losing you, Mira, because I, I I I was slightly at risk and the baby was definitely at risk. And uh, that's it. No more. Uh, we we can't go through this again. And then so like the next year, like after a year, like my husband's like, okay, we could get rid of like the baby car seat now. Cause we're going to switch to the toddler one and we could get rid of that stroller. And I was like, but what if we have a fourth baby? <laughs> he's like, we're not having a fourth baby. And then I would just,
0: just make give face. him a little face, just mm-hmm. a little, mm-hmm. little
1: sad eye face, a little, little mopey face. And I did that for about a year. And all of a sudden one day out of nowhere, he was like, okay, we can have a fourth baby, but then I can have any tattoo I want.
0: <laughs> he traded a baby for a tattoo. Well, the
1: right to have any like forever, like I could no longer say no to anything, even, even like, you know, well, I still, I still like categorically opposed to like the sleeving because he's an actor. And if he walks into a place and he's got like the tattoos all the way down to his hands, he can only really be cast as like an ex-con, a rock star or like a carnival barker, Right. you know, so he has to still be able to, you know, play universal kind of roles. Did he get the tattoo yet? He's gotten several tattoos since. Oh, he has. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's got like seven or eight tattoos. Yeah, um, but they're all tasteful. They're all they're nice, actually.
0: I I, I think they're nice. So it all worked well, out. It all worked out great. Okay. It, it was out a great. good, it was a good well, trade. I was like,
1: whatever. You can have whatever. Like you know, no face <laughs> tattoos, please. You know, but like right. But um, yeah. Uh, so, but Chris is well. When is this airing? This is airing Friday.
0: Is this, when does this go up, Katie? Ready. Right.
1: Oh, okay. Well, the funny thing is like Saturday night, uh, both Chris and I are on TV the same night.
0: This is Saturday the uh, what is the date? What's the date?
1: I can't remember is it what the date is the It'll the be the 13th, right? Saturday the 13th. Saturday the 13th. So, Intruders and Deliverance Creek are both going to be on the same night, and that's crazy because we've never been on the same night of anything. We both that haven't done that much TV. And so like he's starring in this pilot it's like a backdoor pilot for Lifetime called Deliverance Creek, which is like a uh, Western set at the last uh, six months of the Civil War, and he basically plays a character based on Jesse James, like a bushwhacker who becomes a bank robber and kind of drags his sister, played by Lauren Ambrose, into it. Um, and then I've got Intruders. which uh, And so luckily, originally we thought they were airing exactly the same moment. We were like, what are the chances? But I think his is at 8 and mine is at 10. So. Oh,
0: that's nice. Yeah. So, so then people can take a break.
1: They can have like a Back a family festival. And then go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's just what they want to do. on saturday but they're both really great shows so
0: (laughs) so what did i I, uh, what just (laughs) for people who haven't seen it what's the quick what's the nickel pitch for intruders
1: uh intruders is a chilling paranormal drama about uh a secret society that is chasing immortality by seeking refuge in the bodies of others Uh, Yes. And it's very, it's very creepy, very scary, very interesting, but ultimately it's sort of about love and death. And it's like, what would you do for those that you love? Would you kill for them? Would you die for them? Uh, Would life be worth living without them if you could live forever, but without them? um, It's, you know, it's about this obsession we all have about like approaching death and you know, mourning lost ones and and wishing it's, there was some way that you could see them again, and then there is in this. So it's uh, it's very it's very creepy, but it's it touches on stuff that all of us are a little bit deep down very obsessed with. I think so. And it's beautifully shot, beautifully done, very creepy. Glenn Morgan, um, who hails from the X Files, is our show creator. Uh, it's BBC America. Yeah. It's, it's really you know it's got that edge to it. You know that sort of paranormal Saturday thing that they have kind of down to a science. And uh Eduardo Sanchez directed the first four episodes, uh, who did the Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Stamm, uh who did Thirteen Sins, I think, and uh I think it was the last exorcism uh directed the second half. And we have great cast, James Frain, John Sim, um uh, we have, uh, this terrific little kid named Millie Brown who plays a mean old man like nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see, I mean, if you watch the show, you know what I'm talking about, but she's basically being inhabited. I mean, if you watch the show up to this point, you have understood by this point that she is being inhabited. She's being taken over by the soul of a centuries old serial killer, uh, a terrifying old man named Marcus Fox.
0: That sounds awesome.
1: Yeah. And so she swings from being a little girl who's been like kind of abducted by this presence and is terrified when she comes to and just wants to get back to her mommy, uh, to being this man capable of unbelievable evil, um, in the body of a small girl. Um, and I am a woman who is really acting very strangely with her husband and very, very sad. And then at times distant. And then all of a sudden speaking languages that I have never spoken or listening to music that I've never listened to and acting with a different personality than he's used to. And, and obviously something's up with me too. And there's this, eye thing that happens where the pupils dilate. Right. And then
0: like another soul is kind of taking saw. over. So that's what yeah. that is. Yeah. It's like- now, did it ever <clears throat> occur to you as a prank on your husband? How long have you guys been together?
1: Um, we just celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary, but, uh, 11 years total.
0: Okay. So let's say you're six. year 6 you have not told them any of the China stuff yet. And one <laughs> night, <laughs> let's go with me on this. That's <laughs> too late now, but this is a hypothetical. Wouldn't have been funny if, uh, six, six years in, in the middle of the night, you start acting really weird, and you start speaking fluent Chinese. But he has no idea that you've ever been to China. You could you could have freaked the shit out of him.
1: I could have, except that one of the first trips we took together when we were engaged was we went with Mr. Armani to China. Oh, so he he experienced me speaking Chinese there, and he was like, it was like, "Where's my
0: wife? Who's this talking?"
1: Because all of a sudden, I would, you know. Yeah, I'd be having this conversation with people in Chinese and he was like, this is so weird. Where's my wife? So
0: he already, he already, already, yeah,
1: he'd already seen it. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, you know what? A missed opportunity, but
1: yes, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. (laughs) It would have been good. Yes. But I I would have had to do it really early though.
0: (laughs) So uh, do you have time to, have you been back to China anytime recently?
1: No, I haven't been back since, uh, yeah, 2004. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear it's changed so much since then. And at that point it had changed so much from when I was in college and was there. I mean, night and day, huge difference. Like, you know, the economic changes to the the system having become capitalist and all of a sudden you have all this globalization there. Like you had like Louis Vuitton and – Starbucks and crazy, you know, American or European stuff there, whereas before there was no outside influence. There was nothing from the West. Maybe maybe there was one hotel in Beijing that was sort of Western. (laughs) Well, yeah, there were the the foreign students that would all kind of hang out as like the, the expat community, but and me with my fake books, my, my jazz books that nobody had. And it was like contraband that I was like sharing with the
0: musicians. And oh, wow. like,
1: I think that's why they had me in their band so that they could like use my music. But, uh, how did you, f-
0: when, when you first, <clears throat> my came,
1: dad would send me the music
0: from, when, from when the you US. first came back from China, how did you feel different? I mean, obviously you were,
1: <laughs> I wanted to go back. Like I loved my life over in China. Like I had kind of made peace with the expat experience. And I think because of the divorce, like I, I just, I decided one day, okay, I'm on the bottom of the world and I can either sort of like, you know, like I'm literally like, you know, I'd have to dig a tunnel back to my home straight through the core of the earth to get back to New Jersey. So, um, either I can just kind of crumple and feel sorry for myself or I can build like a new happy life here and, you know, be, seemed to be the better option. And so, the second half of my time in China, I kind of righted myself and developed all these contacts and friends and found music that I liked and would bike all over on my bike throughout China and would travel to different provinces and had this singing stuff going on. And, and it was just a really, I took calligraphy classes and uh, it was just a wonderful, amazing time. So when I went back to Harvard with one semester left, I no, I had two semesters left. I had my, the, the end of my senior year I had spring senior semester and all my friends graduated. And then I had one more semester to do to finish off because I had taken off senior fall. Um, So I was like, well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and teach Chinese maybe. Like I worked for this group called World Teach. I was like, maybe I'll go work in in, uh, Guangdong province and I'll learn Cantonese. And I'll teach English there and it'll be so exciting. And then maybe I'll do documentaries on shamanism in the countryside. Like I had this whole, you know. And then uh, Tiananmen Square happened that spring. Oh, wow. And it just changed everything for anybody who was sort of in the China field at that point, because we all felt that we would be like hurting our Chinese friends. If we went back, like they would be in trouble for being contacted by Westerners. And we didn't want to just go back and be like expats living with expats and, you know, not living a Chinese style lifestyle. And we didn't want to show approval for what had happened. And so everybody was kind of like boycotting going back and, and so that's probably why I'm an actor, like, cause I might've gone on this completely different path after graduation. I would have maybe gone back to China and lived in China and become like a, you know, a person who lived overseas for many years. And maybe I might've gravitated back to performing. I mean, I know I had this friend there who, her name was Nin Ying. She was the third AD on The Last Emperor and she wanted me to play Like an american yoko ono to like a chinese boy band like Uh like he was like a chinese beatles and i'd be like the white girlfriend that kind of breaks them (laughs) (laughs) off so like that was so that was a possibility for me but um maybe i would have ended up acting maybe not i don't know
0: did you did you date much (laughs) when you were in china
1: (laughs) um i dated a little bit
0: i'm just curious to know how the well, I mean, I guess it was it was it was a while ago, so maybe it's different now, but I mean like the dating because you said everything's changed in China now, but but right. wh- I wonder coming in as a westerner like how, how do you sort think, of fold in and Well,
1: there was a there was a there was an expression that I had been warned about from my Chinese friends that was called like sometimes like Chinese people would call you know, westerners who would come in and date Chinese people, they would call them um passports or Oh, Plain tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so you always had to be suspect of a relationship, uh, unless it really seemed to be founded on true love because and you know, I I think one guy who wanted to date me was very interested in like just getting out of China and like, you know, had completely ulterior motives for like, you know, being interested in me. And then I was kind of like had this huge crush on this like drummer, one of the drummers in the band, but he had like a long term girlfriend, but it was just like I had this like big crush on him. But that was nothing to do with like the Feiji Piao watch, you know, the, 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 the passport, whatever. but mostly I dated like foreigners, but I think, yeah, like you had to be suspect about like, that was you know, when you're living in like a com, you know, sort of a communist state, even though it was like less oppressive than it had been in, you know, the early eighties or the seventies, there were still so many strictures on people's lives that it was like a big dream for people to get out. You know, they just wanted
0: to get out. <clears throat> That's interesting. And you wanted to stay. <laughs> yeah. Let me in. <laughs> <laughs> no, get out. <laughs> Please. I want to stay. Well, uh, th- I mean, this is... Fuck. We just went past an hour. I mean, it doesn't matter. We can go as long as we want. But I don't want to keep... I don't want to force you to stay here longer. But that... I mean... We should it, probably talk more
1: about, about Intruders a little bit.
0: Well, we did. We covered, yeah, we covered we did, it. And yeah, then we'll also, bit, yeah. we'll also put it at the beginning. And and, uh, and BBC... I worked for BBC America a couple of years ago. <laughs> and they're they're great network to work for. And they really have started to understand. Did you, is that a a dribble can?
1: (laughs) It's just me with my geriatric lower lip.
0: (laughs) I feel like, I feel like a BBC, BBC America really kind of understands like who their audience is and the types of programming. And they're, I mean, they're, they're doing such a great job. They're doing such a phenomenal job over there with orphan black and, 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 uh, just like original, just sort of original, interesting ideas.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the, the thing at the beginning of intruders, I think some people felt like it was too confusing. Like that was like a note that some people gave like in, in, you know, um, critiques or whatever, like, wow, what's going on? I don't know. Like maybe, you know, this is too hard.
0: There's a focus groups. They don't matter.
1: And, uh, you know, BBC was like, look, we respect the intelligence of our audience and we are presenting them a mystery and we're not going to give everything away in the first and we stand behind it. What I want to say to audiences who are, you know, who've seen it and who are unsure, like, is it too confusing? Am I gonna everything is about to be coming really, really clear very soon. So mm-hmm. like episode four that is coming on this weekend, all of a sudden you're gonna start understanding a lot more about that. you'll see a lot more glimpses into the Secret Society and you will see my connection to it. And it's kind of like the second half of the season is so mind blowing. Like it's so different from the first half. So what I can say to fans out there who are watching it, but are a little bit like unsure. Cause sometimes on Twitter somebody's like, well, I'm still trying to figure out episode one and two, like hang in there because it'll blow your mind and, and things, everything's going to be revealed. And then the drama is crazy. Like what happens is it's all kind of crazy. What's coming up. And my character is crazy. Like, it's not like sweet little Amy that we're watching and like feeling sorry for her. Cause she's in the throes of this sort of internal turmoil. Like she changes a lot, like things happen and, and she's like, um, Yeah, it's like I'm a different person. Like so it's 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 really cool. It's really interesting. So I just want people to hang in there with it. Good. So you're having fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no, it was an awesome role. It was awesome. I like it's a killer role. As the season goes on, it like I mean it's it's two different people. So I'm playing two different people in one body, basically. All right. But the second person is really crazy. Like it's like a totally totally mind-blowing kind of situation so it's really interesting
0: i don't know why i just (laughs) want to see i just want to hear you speak chinese (laughs) what could you what could you say what could you say in chinese you could talk about what if you were to talk about the show to a chinese audience are you are you, are you, are oh you brushed God. up enough?
1: Oh, no. Are you brushed up enough? Oh no, I don't think so. Well, uh, no, there's just I know I there's a say, lot of Chinese well, people
0: who listen to the podcast who are like and they go, I don't understand anything. If only someone I mean I'm gonna keep listening to this out. podcast because eventually someone's gonna say something that but means something to me. Uh
1: okay, let's see. Well to I can't say show, I don't remember the word for show, um uh, uh Picture intruders, brain. intruders. No, it's not pictures. that's picture brain. Uh, no, what is that? What is TV? How do you say TV? Now I forget. But anyway, I said I, I really hope you all watch intruders oh that's <laughs> even do, do can intruders
0: oh that's great do you do you, did they just do you just sort of co-opt english words for words that there aren't chinese words for or is it is it sort of like the
1: oh i i mean i couldn't really do that when i was over there but now i do if i forget one sure. like i just did
0: yeah but that's a proper um, name so that's totally acceptable.
1: yeah like uh well dianhua is a is a phone what is it Dian? Yeah what is it? It's like, it's like, it is electric something. It's not, it's uh, Dianhua is electric, like voice, which is phone. And Dian now is electric brain, which is computer. So what the frick? Is- electric face. No
0: <laughs> electric face. Let's no, say it's electric, electric face. face. No, it's not. Cause I think that's a cool name for something.
1: Uh, how do you say TV?
0: I don't remember. Sorry. Can you say, do you know how to say, enjoy your burrito in Chinese? There's probably not a Chinese. You probably just have to say burrito.
1: Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I don't know how to say burrito. I'm sorry.
0: What about in French?
1: Um, <laughs> j'espère que tu, tu t'amuses avec ton burrito.
0: <laughs> oh, so great. I'm sorry to try to. I don't.
1: I don't. I
0: don't. I don't want to make you a language puppet, but it's but it's fucking awesome to. It's really great to hear. It's really great to hear. Just, Chinese is just not one of those languages that people just waltz in and go. Oh, by the way, I lived in China and I speak Chinese. It's such a great. I I hope uh I hope you enjoyed your time here on I the did. podcast. I
1: did very much. Uh
0: come back. Oh you know who I wanna uh, before we finish, uh I wanna talk about your friend uh with Champagne. cancer. Yes, Champagne. I was just on the phone Champagne with her before Joy. I got
1: here and she, Champagne Joy, who has her TV project hashtag Cancerland uh, that she's working on you know kind of getting off the ground but that's how we really met because she was a huge fan of yours and oh. she was like that's Chris Hardwick oh my God you have to talk with him you've gotta meet him
0: is uh. so she's so amazing she's so fantastic and I had no idea and we we hung out for most of the night and we were just hanging out afterwards and she was like oh yes and oh and I also have um, stage four cancer I'm like yeah. you have what because you, there's there's not uh, the, she's so um, vital. Yeah. So vital. And there's, there's nothing about her that seems, um, like there's any malady whatsoever. And it's, it's, but she's, she's so positive and it all it, it, she's one of those people that makes you, that really makes you go, Oh yeah, I don't really have problems. And I, I obsess over stupid shit right, because right. here's, here's this woman who, uh, not only is living, um, the just a, a very outgoing energetic life, and she has uh, very serious cancer, but she also is devoted her life to support groups and so like you know if you don 't have someone to talk to, if you need someone if you you know then she 's dedicating you know she 's she 's trying herself. to create
1: a resource through hashtag cancerland to be like a, a resource from anyone who is battling this disease you know and and she wants that to be her legacy. I keep telling her you know not to not to give up the ghost just yet that even, you know, people, people do come back from stage four. They do. I, I, you know, it happens. So um, I just, you know, they give you a terminal diagnosis and, and I just don't want that to go, you know, to, to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, just because I think the brain is, is a really important aspect of fighting Mm -hmm. a disease, but you know, we're close anyway. There's, you know, there's so many treatments that are happening that, you know, years ago we didn't have any of them. And I've just been on the phone with her today on my way over here and uh, we caught up and, She's an amazing person. She's really inspirational and she's so funny. I mean, she's really, really funny. Hilarious. Um, as soon as she got cancer, she dyed her hair blue Yeah. and, uh, she's normally a redhead and we've known each other since we were 14. Um, and I met her right before I met Ramon, who was my fashion influence with the punk clothes. And she was friends with Ramon as well. And, uh, she was an actress at the time and she was in a Woody Allen movie and, And, uh, she's managed bands. She's, uh, she's been uh, worked, worked, uh, in a law office for a long time. Um, she's just an amazing human being, just the best counselor. Like if you need human advice that you really can trust, she is the best, like sort of sees straight to the core of a matter, understands human nature so well, but always has like a sense of humor. Her mother is a rather famous psychic. Actually, her mother's name is Grace Spear. And she wrote a book called everything talks to me. Um, and, uh, her husband, Michael Hall is an amazing guy and, uh, uh, has a pretty terrific body of photography that he does. And, but anyway, they're, they're great, great people. And, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I threw her a benefit party along with a ton of wonderful friends, uh, this summer at number eight in New York and, um, you know, raised some money for medical expenses and a lot of awareness. And, uh, but, uh, she's like, she herself is the embodiment of like life. Like she is just like a person who is so you cannot imagine her not being alive. So this is, I mean, I just, I'm, I don't know. I just want to do everything I can for her. I'm like looking up all these like alternative cures, but she's right now in a really, really serious chemo regime. Um, and you can't add anything to the mix right now. Like, and I'm like, but couldn't you try this? And she's like, you have to trust me that the doctors, you know, have their protocol and, You know, as soon as we see how this is working, then we can see what we can add to it. But right now, you know, we've got to see how this new regimen is is taking. Um, And, uh, I mean, I did that Stand Up to Cancer telecast thing the other day where we called people who had been supporters of Stand Up to Cancer in the past, and and I spoke to all of these survivors or people who had lost people to it, and it was just very, very moving and and mind-blowing. And I spoke to this woman who was an eight-year cancer survivor, and she was saying... Um, how in, in a certain way it had realigned her priorities and been a good thing. She had like seen some good in it somehow and that it, she felt like just at the right time there were like little angels around her. Like, like people showed up just out of nowhere who like became angels to her. And, and that she stripped down like what she thought was important in life. And now, like feels like she is grateful for every day and she's, she feels blessed to be around. And and so she had, she said that she felt that positivity also was the thing that helped her beat it, you know, to the extent that she's beaten it now and uh, that a positive attitude was like the key. But I mean, she was incredible. She was an inspiration to talk to. So um, I just try and be there for champagne and, and help her. But you know, ultimately, it's her fight that she's fighting. You know, there's nothing we can... You know, you want to wave a magic wand for the people you love and be like, I want to take this all away from you. And, and you can't, you know. So it's just... it's That's really hard, you know. Because I, I, I really have... I've had hard times in the past few weeks where I'm just... You know, I'm sort of, like, I, I did love original Star Trek, as you probably know, with my obsession with Captain Kirk and Shatner and all that. And yes. I have all the paraphernalia at home. I have the phasers and the communicators and the little, the little deck and the little revolving fake um Oh, the transporter fake the transporter. Yeah. that You could spin that, yeah. Uh, but I always, I was very influenced or perhaps just naturally born to the concept of, you know, not accepting the no-win scenario. So how he, like, faked the, the, the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. And... I never want to say that it's impossible that there's, you know, a no exit, you know, that we're in a like terminal situation. Like I was like, there's something else we can do. We can always figure out a way, like where there's a, well, there's a way we're going to build a barn. We're going to find a cure. We're going to do something. We're going to, you know, and, um, you know, that's hubris because none of us have that ability. Um, but I, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Cause I, I don't, I don't really want to accept a no win scenario for her. I don't, I don't want to accept
0: that. Well, so. but you, you, know I mean it's it's I think it's still good, despite that, to have that attitude.
1: Yeah. No, it, it serves you. It serves you to have that attitude because it allows you to do a lot of things that other people would say that's impossible
0: to do. And it also it also forces you to sort of think creatively and try to figure out, you know, to try to see things that that maybe if you would just resign yourself and be like, Yeah, there's nothing I can do, you know, well, may, but maybe, you know, that idea of but maybe there is, I mean – that had yeah. that had that's worked yeah so no, I,
1: I've, I've been like finding all these like possibilities through people i know for her and she's going to explore all of them so um
0: well i just think people should and you should uh, is, is it is it champagne joy on twitter or is it champagne underscore joy
1: there it is, champagne underscore joy.
0: At champagne underscore joy.
1: Yeah, and she has the blue hair and the orange kimono on. <laughs> like you'll know you're in the right place.
0: But you know, um, seek her out, say hi to her, find her, give her Twitter love. If you're uh, if you're going through something, she wants to help, and she, so. Um, but she's she's so so cool.
1: Yeah, she's so cool. She'll be really excited that you you. Um, thought of her because she definitely was like, Oh, I'm so happy that you're doing that. That's awesome. You know,
0: um... <laughs> well, I'm happy that you were doing it too. It's, it's, it's been so nice talking to you and it's such a good time a couple weeks ago. And, um, it's, 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 it's been a pleasure and, and thank you for coming out here.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Next, next time we'll have to talk about my, <laughs> about human trafficking because that's my whole other like side of my life that has taken over me kind of in a very large way, but it's, it's not a conversation for tonight. But no, but, but you can come back time. and you can yeah, talk about yeah, it. That'd maybe be, when I have something going on, like, uh, but I work, uh, you know, I'm a UN Goodwill ambassador on human trafficking and I have been since 2009. So that's like my, my big other side of my life where I got to take all the Harvard stuff and all the speech writing and all the social justice stuff from like the racial conflict and all that and put it into the modern day slavery stuff. So it's, that's still part of me. Mm-hmm. So I still have that, that part of myself that isn't, that hasn't gone to sleep.
0: You, is there is there a, is just a, a website or something that you want to plug for the, for people to get information about that? that uh,
1: well, sure. I mean, they could they could follow UNODC uh, on Twitter. They could go to the Polaris.org website if they want to get involved in anti-trafficking initiatives in the United States. It's a great one-stop shopping place because you can find out whatever's happening in your state on Twitter. Trafficking. So you could either support legislation that needs to be passed, or you could join a local group that is working to fight trafficking or to help victims. Um, So it's it's a great way to get involved. If you're in Los Angeles, CAST LA is a great group to follow and to get involved with. They really are the number one service provider to trafficking victims in the area. But also ECpat, ECpat USA, ECpat International, and child uh, prostitution and, and trafficking. That's what it stands for. But if you're specifically by uh, child sex trafficking they're the people to get involved with. But you know, there's a lot that people can do. They just have to kind of wake up and realize
0: that slavery is still alive and well, so we all need to fight it. But anyway. Well you come back and we can we can talk more about that too. Okay. Okay. I,
1: I see my children are calling me. Oh the, please go ahead. No caller ID is always them. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's Where house. are you? Mommy, Johnny hit me. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Mommy's doing a podcast. Yeah. Podcasts are dumb. Uh, all right, cool. We'll, uh, we'll, I will let you go I will let you go uh, back to your, your large Italian family. Thank you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone.
1: Thank you very much. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of skinny pop popcorn. Imagine this: perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels